Thank you, Amy. My name is John Lux. Thank you, Kendra. I hear that. Thank you. I feel believed in. All right. Uh, and I'm the young adult coordinator here at Antioch Community Church, Brighton. And uh, before we jump into our message today, I just want to follow up on what Carrie Ann uh, shared with us as a church, this idea that there's an open heaven. And uh, when I first started following Jesus, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of language that didn't make sense to me. I'm going to unpack what an open heaven is, okay? Uh, and, and very simply, it's making reference to uh, this, verse, this verse in the Psalms where it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And the imagery of it is of God opening some door above us and coming from where he seems to be to where we feel that we are right now. And so when, when God is speaking about an open heaven, we don't just put that in a box of like charismatic Christian terms to look up on our phone tonight. We, we, we want to believe in faith and believe God opens up something and comes near to us in the place where we are right now. And that's very applicable to the message um, that we're going to be looking at today. Now, uh, this is the final message in our uh, John series. I know that must make us all really sad. Uh, the final message in our, our John series, we went through John 13 through John 17. And this section of the book of John is known as the farewell address of Jesus. And it's called that because he's essentially saying goodbye to all of his disciples before he dies, uh, is buried, is resurrected, and then goes up into heaven. Now, uh, it's the, the context uh, for this is... Uh, Everything that happens between Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13 and Jesus being arrested in the first verses of John 18. All right. And uh, so before I jump into this, uh, another step, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who collaborated with me in writing this sermon, especially to Neil Crook. All right. Now, if you guys have a paper Bible, thank you for bringing your paper Bible to church. You did a good job. Make some noise with it as you turn it to John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Did you hear that sound? It's the most beautiful sound that can be heard in a church. All right? The, the sound of your greasy thumb swiping on your iPhone screen, that doesn't do anything for me. All right? Okay. The broader context of John chapter 17, the broader context is the farewell address of Jesus. And the context of that is the death of Jesus. Spoiler alert, the hero dies in two chapters. Jesus dies in chapter 20. And as he's communicating to the disciples in chapter 17, he knows that he is going to die in chapter 20. The disciples, who had a better idea than anybody else, really didn't get it at this point. But all through these chapters, we can hear a tenderness in the words of Jesus, an intensity a clarity in his communicating. And we can imagine it's the shadow of the cross looming over these words of his, imparting to the disciples what he most wants them to have. And so when we listen to the main message of John 17, and we listen to Jesus saying, saying, saying to the Father, he's praying for us, praying for us, and he says, Father, that you would be in me and I would be in them that they would come to complete unity. And this is the prayer of Jesus for us. 
And in the final prayer that he prays, he says, I want them to be with me where I am. And Jesus isn't just sort of spouting this off as he walks along between two Judean countryside villages. This is Jesus getting ready to die, and he prays this to his father. That's our message and its context today. All right. Now, just to try and place this somewhere in our mental framework, what exactly is a farewell message? What exactly is a farewell prayer? Uh, And I was trying to think where this fits in for us, and I was like, oh, Phil's sermon a couple weeks ago. That was his final sermon on staff at this church. He's going to go to North Africa as a missionary, just like Amy is, okay? And so this is a time to pay special attention to anything that Phil and Leslie say. Anything. Because as they begin to transition to another thing, they begin to have a great clarity about where they are and what they're leaving behind. Ask them to pray for you and listen to the words they say to you. And then I was trying to think in my own life, I had a moment of farewell address that that impacted me in a huge way. So um, I was mentored when I was uh, a missionary in North Africa. I was mentored by a guy named Marcos. And Marcos took days with me, teaching me everything I know about how to be a missionary. And uh, after years of, of leading my own team in another city, Mark called me up on the phone. He said, John, I need you to come down to the city where I am. Uh, the, the government office just came to my house, and they said, you have 48 hours to leave the country. You're being deported. He said, I need you to get down here quickly because I'm not going to be here anymore. And so I come down to Mark's house, and he sits me down, and he says, these are the things I want you to be faithful to when I am gone. He says, these are the things I want you to give yourself to when I am not here anymore. And that's the kind of context that Jesus is bringing in these chapters of the scriptures. These are the things that I want for you when I am not here with you anymore. All right. So let's listen closely to the words of Jesus so that they can affect us in that same way. All right. So for four or five chapters, Jesus is essentially preaching to the disciples. But he was a professional preacher for three years. They're okay with that. But now the communication changes. Jesus was explaining the kingdom of heaven as clearly as he does in the entire New Testament, and now he stops communicating to the disciples. He brings them alongside, turns up, and prays to his father. So chapter 17 is distinct. Jesus is making an intercessory prayer with his disciples at his side and not communicating truth and information to them. And I think that's part of the tenderness that we hear in these chapters uh, and the verses that we're looking at today. All right. And what is it that he prays for? He's asking for unity. He says, Father, I want them to be one. It says that they would be brought to complete unity. And um, historically, when this verse is brought up, It's in order to talk about unity between Christian churches in cities and between denominations within the country. And that is a valid interpretation of this verse. But I want to try to go to a deeper layer of what Jesus is doing here. And I want to tie it in to John 15 that we preached on a couple weeks ago, right? So John 15 was Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Meaning you, plural, are all of these branches attached to this vine. And all the branches of the vine experience a kind of unity, don't they? 
It's not one branch with one vine. It's one vine with many branches. And the unity that Jesus is talking about for us as Christians is a unity in himself. You tracking with me? The unity, when Jesus says that we would be brought to complete unity, he means complete unity with Jesus. That the vine that supplies life to us would be our source of unity with God through Jesus. And that as other branches are united to this vine, we would experience unity with them as well. Okay? So it's not a shallowness that we held hands with some other church and sang kumbaya. I'm all about that. But the, Jesus, the thing that Jesus is bringing here is that we are united to the vine, to the person of Jesus himself. And through him, we experience a unity with everyone else who's connected to him. All right? Because the Bible gives Jesus this authority. It describes him as the firstborn from among the dead, the head of his body, the church. That's the vine. That's the kind of unity and oneness that Jesus wants to bring us into. All right. So let's look here at John 17, verses 20 through 26. It says, Jesus is praying to the Father. And this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning them, the 12 disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And I myself will be in them. And you hear the tenderness of this prayer, the, the gentleness but, but earnestness and passion of it that Jesus is praying with in the shadow of the cross. It wasn't a challenge. It wasn't a rally kind of prayer. He's just praying for the people that he loves. And who are these people that he's praying for? It says, those who will believe in me through their message. Okay? He's praying for Ryan Lee. He's praying for Dennis Long. He's praying for John Lux. Those who will believe because of the message of these disciples. And so we all have believed because of the testimony of the disciples as they preached about Jesus. In a sense, in a very specific sense, Jesus is praying for us in this room right now. We are those who will believe because of his message. Okay? You can put that on your LinkedIn profile. Titles those who have believed in Jesus because of his message. 
The three of you who have LinkedIn profiles are really excited about that. All right. <laughs> okay. So he's not just praying for the 12 disciples who followed him around the Judean countryside. He's praying for all of us today. And Mark preached last week, right? He said, Jesus, being divine, is outside of time. It's hard to picture. But part of being outside of time is that 2,000 years ago when he knelt down in a garden to pray to his father, he prayed for us. He had us in mind at that moment. And so we listen to this prayer. We cannot detach from it. It is a prayer of Jesus for us to the Father. So when Jesus prays for us right there, we can imagine ourselves huddled around him with the disciples. What is he asking for? What is he asking for? I want to break down three things. First, he's asking for a wholeness, a unity, an attachment, a connectedness for us with him and for us with one another. Two, He's saying that as that begins to happen more and more, that the world will know the love of Jesus. And third, this is the inescapable part of this verse, we will see his glory as we are united and attached to him. All right, let's look at the first of those things. It says, that they may be one, you in me and I in them, says Jesus. What is, what is this unity he's talking about? What is the love he's talking about? That they may know the, the, that you love them the same way you loved me. Let me try and unpack this. Jesus is saying that the love that God has for Jesus is the same level and quality as the love that Jesus has for us. And when he talks about us being united with him as the vine, one with him, complete unity, He's referencing the unity that exists in the Trinity. That is a big prayer. That is not a small prayer. That's not, Lord, help me with my exam at school today. Jesus is asking, would you bring them into the kind of unity that we experience in the Trinity, Father? Would you bring them into that kind of relationship with yourself? Okay, and unity with God has a side effect. Unity with other Christians. Now, the 12 disciples, okay, as this prayer is being prayed, there were 12 people who had any idea really what Jesus was doing on earth. Okay, and of the 12, 12 of them, the Bible records several instances where they did not understand each other and did not like each other. Okay, so if the first 12 Christians who spent three years with physical Jesus on earth had trouble walking in complete unity, then you cannot be too surprised to find that the two billion Christians on earth right now are experiencing some of the same things, okay? But the side effect of coming into unity with God in relationship and connection is that we come into unity with other Christians. Now, if you're new in the city of Boston or you're new at this church, this is good news for you. As you pursue Jesus, God is making a place of connection for you in this room. Go to a small group. Sign up for a discipleship group. Walk in unity with God and in fellowship with other people. This is the plan of God to bless your life. All right. Now let's look at the second thing here. Jesus says that as we walk in a, in a unity and attachment with him, abiding in the vine, he says, he says this. 
I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So when Amy's overseas in Cambodia, she wakes up in the morning. What is it about? That the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a missions verse. And so we do missions at Antioch. We send out missionaries. We get fired up. But the basis of it is that Jesus says our connection and relationship to him drives all of it. That in a sense, the expression of missions is an overflow of knowing God and walking with him. That that's how Jesus says, that's how Jesus prayed that the world would know his love was that it would come from our place of unity with God in the place of knowing God, relating to God, being connected to the vine. And can you believe that the prayers of Jesus will be answered? Okay? Part of being divine is that Jesus doesn't, doesn't pray a prayer and he's not like trying to loft it up there like, I wonder, just maybe, please God, a snow day tomorrow, just like tossing it out there. Jesus was divine. On earth, he did 100% the will of his Father. Can you believe that his prayer will be answered? And this is a prayer that we would receive his love, that the world would receive his love. Jesus is praying that the world would know the way that he loves them. All right, listen to his next prayer with us. And this is the one that really gets me. Listen to the next prayer. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory. Now, guys, like, you think about Jesus, right? He's in the garden with his 12 best friends, and he wandered around the Judean countryside 24-7 with them for three years. And here he is. He's at the end of the road. There's a bravery in Jesus. He's ready to go to the cross. But he cares about these 12 guys. He really cares about them. Discipleship meant something to him. There was an emotional connection. Jesus cared so much. And what's his prayer for them and for us? He says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. It wasn't enough that he just had three years of hanging out. Jesus wanted them to be with him where he is. On his way to the cross and forever in heaven. And what happens when we're with Jesus in that way? Jesus wants us to be with him. Now, what is that? As we come into that place of being with Jesus, he's going to show us his glory. He's going to show us his glory. It's something big. It's something exciting. He's going to show us his glory. He says, I want them to see the glory you have given me. Right? And it's not just like, the glory of teacher Jesus on earth. It's not just the glory of prophet Jesus talking about what's going to happen in the future. It's the glory that Jesus had with God before the world was made. Now, can we tap into this idea here? That Jesus existed before the world was brought into being, before the Big Bang, before anything, before let there be light, before any of it, Jesus was already with God. 
experiencing a perfect love and relationship with God. And in that place, Jesus is thinking, I would like them to know this about me. I would like them to know this about my glory. The everlasting, eternal glory of Jesus, which he has always had. That's what he prayed that we would experience in the place of connection to him 2,000 years ago. And I get it. A lot of Christians have lived and died in 2,000 years. A lot of sermons have been preached in 2,000 years. But this prayer of Jesus, it is inescapable for us. Father, I want them to be with me where I am. I mean, can you feel the, can you imagine it? Imagine yourself in the garden right now. Jesus is praying this for you. Father, I want them to be with me where I am. I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory. I want them to see my glory. And it's the Holy Spirit who does this activity. We talk about the Holy Spirit with a lot of weird metaphors. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and his function is to bring us into this place of connection inwardly with God. If this, if this message feels impossible and out there and mystical, the Holy Spirit needs to come and make this real for us, to bring us to that place of connection. If there's an open heaven, what is it that comes down? It's the Spirit of God who comes near to us. Jesus was a physical man on earth. He could not be physically with two billion people. But the Holy Spirit has this beautiful function that he could do what physical Jesus could not do, which is to be with you right now, to be with us in this room right now. And the Holy Spirit has another function. It's to reveal the truth about Jesus. And when Jesus says, I want them to know my glory, I want them to see my glory, the Holy Spirit has the ability to make that happen right now. He has the authority and power function to reveal Jesus in that way right now. So I'm going to begin to pray. Okay? And I, and I, want, us, I want us to turn to respond, not just to some mystical truth from this morning, but to the practical. If Jesus prayed in the hours before his death that he would be with you, what do you want to do this week to be with him? What do you want to do this week to be with him? I don't care about you filling out Christian check boxes. What do you want to do to be with Jesus? What do you want to do to be with the man who said this? What do you want to do to see the glory of a man who gave his life for you? Jesus prayed to the Father that this would be accessible to you. It doesn't take much. You get in the car with your five kids and you take a deep breath at the steering wheel and you say, Father, see your glory. You stand up and get out of your cube and you walk to the water cooler. And you pour yourself freezing cold water. I don't know why it's always so cold. And you're standing there and you drink it and you say, God, here at my job, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. Would you show me your glory right now? And you go home after you finish your job, your super intense job. 
and you don't turn on Netflix, you go for a walk in this beautiful world that God made, and you say, Father, I want to be with you. I want to know what it was like before you made all this. I want to know that glory. Would you let me see it? Would you move in me by your Holy Spirit and touch that thing, that glory of Jesus? Go and do that. If you want to spend an hour with God in the morning, spend an hour with God. But don't have the regret of not letting Jesus answer this prayer in your life. I want to be with them, Father. I want them to see my glory. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to do a different kind of response time. Jesus is able to be with us right now. And heaven is open. God has opened the heavens and given his Holy Spirit on earth. So we're just going to make space. We're just going to sit here and we're going to be with God. And God is going to do whatever he wants. And my belief and my prayer is that God would show us his glory by the Holy Spirit this morning. Jesus, you said that you have made God known. And you said that you would continue to make God known. And we ask God, we cry out to you. Would you make him known to us again this morning? Would you make him known again to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal to us something fresh about Jesus? You said that you wanted to be with us. You said you wanted us to be with you where you are. Where you are. God, we want to be with you where we are right now. Right here. Would you come and be with us? God, we experience such loneliness and disconnection. Come and be with us. Come and be with us, God. We long for you. Move, Holy Spirit. And we just sit here, God. We're just going to sit here and be with you.